Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. And welcome to episode 16 of Behind the Scene, a weekly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. In this episode, we are going to discuss justification. And justification is a really strong word used both in a legal context and a theological context. Justification is the act of showing something to be right or reasonable. And in the theological context, it is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. And in the race conversation, what we've done historically is justify legally and spiritually the mistreatment of people who look different from us. And these justifications aren't as as explicit as they might have been during slavery or Jim Crow, but they continue to influence how we view other people today. And that itself is part of the faulty justification, the belief that these biases are isolated to the past. But the reality is that they continue to manifest today and that the true and right justification occurs in the loving of the other. And so, Brandon, I'm going to kick it to you to kind of jumpstart us on thinking about some examples where these justifications are occurring today. What do those look like uh, in 2018? Yeah, you know, we take a lot of time justifying everything that we do or that we think or believe in this country a lot, especially in the context of our never sleeping news hour, sort of the, the awakening of, of the 24 hour news cycle puts us in this situation where we're constantly looking for ways to justify the way policies are made or to justify things going on in the culture. Um, you know, that's not something that's entirely new in this era. You know, I think we could go all the way back, you know, to the sixties and, and even to the time of integration, you know, if you've watched, um, uh, you know, some of the old films there, some of the old sort of media and newsreels there, you will see people, you know, saying things, um, you know, like God would forgive the sin of adultery before he would give the sin of integration or the sin of intermarrying, you know, or, or being in, a, in, a, in an interracial marriage or relationship. And those things are you know, so hard to hear, but what we used to justify that was some sort of a puritanical view, um, a very Aryan view of what beauty is, of what, um, of what good is, of what right is, and who could be the executors of being good and being right and being beautiful. And then we are not even getting into the context of, the, of, of sort of the economic parts here, you know, that sort of play into the history of racism in this country, you know, that what might have come across as spiritual was really a manipulation, a spiritual manipulation in order to help others become rich while others became um, slaves and, mm. um, and, and add nothing to their names, you know, and the context of free labor was, was more important than purity in worship, though we called it purity in, in, in worship um, to make sure that certain people, um, black and brown people were kept under the thumb of spiritual oppression and, 
and as that related to the economy. So, so some of the examples, you know, that I don't think are too far off the beaten path of some of that. And, and I say that just saying, just because these are the, the, the seeds, you know, like we know that, that those examples from the sixties or from the earliest days of slavery and, and throughout the entire history of slavery are things that we are so aware of. Like we know that there's a clear mm-hmm. line of demarcation there, but let's talk about, um, those two guys at Starbucks, um, the two black guys who went to Starbucks for a business meeting and they had not yet purchased a coffee or anything from the Starbucks counter. They were waiting on a third person to join them. And if you're familiar with this story in the news, the manager at that Starbucks said um, to them, uh, when one of them wanted to use the bathroom, she said to them, um, you know, you're not able to use the, the bathroom. I'm waiting for you to look like you have to purchase something. And she held very closely to that standard. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, what ended up happening, of course, is that, uh, you know, the one of the black men, you know, very calmly and politely just said, I don't understand. I have to use the bathroom just waiting here for a person to, to come and meet me and that I'm going to buy mm-hmm. something. I just need to use the bathroom, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so an ultimate question, you know, for me always, you know, is what is this general manager going through to justify this type of behavior? Um, some even listening to me right now might actually say, well, that's the policy. That's what the law is. And Mm -hmm. it makes me think of um, a story in the Bible, you know, when the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they're testing him by asking him a question. Um, Is it lawful to do work or to heal on the Sabbath? And of course, the Sabbath is the day of rest, you know, where um, everyone, you know, sort of takes a day off. And um, what Jesus says, you know, is quite brilliant. Um, it's obvious um, what the real answer is here. Um, Jesus basically says, you know, if you see a man in a ditch (laughs) um, who needs help and it just so happens to be the Sabbath, which is a day of not working, should you just leave the man in the ditch? And what I say to that is in comparison, you know, to the Starbucks um, kind of situation is, isn't it better just to let the person use the bathroom? Like you have no idea what's going on with them in the bathroom. Like you don't know if they've really got to go, they've got a problem or whatever it is. And they don't need to have this extraordinary problem. It's a biological function. If you see someone that has to use the bathroom, is it not better? Even if there is a policy, right. Um, That, that says that, you know, you can't or shouldn't for whatever reason. Um, And that, and that reason could be legitimate. Not every scenario applies to the law that you set. Right. And it takes Mm -hmm. wisdom and equity to be able to actually see someone to see the need and then actually care about that person enough to actually say, you know what, we have to bend the rule in this situation simply because of the equity of the situation. It doesn't you know, it just it's just silly to not do so. Um, And uh, I think in, in the situation with this general manager, that totally makes sense. It's like, you know, well, what is better? You know, the guy's going to purchase something. At least he said he's going to purchase something. He just needs to go to the bathroom right now. What's better, holding on to your rule? Um, And the second question is, would you have actually held on to that rule or held on to that standard if if it were two white men or two white people in the same circumstance, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's plausible, though I can't prove it because that situation isn't what happened, but it's plausible Mm -hmm. 
to suggest that there wouldn't that that there would have been a justification in the other um, mm. in the other direction for why you should bend the rule as opposed to why mm. you should hold to it. So yeah, yeah, and I think it's interesting. You know, why do why do people kind of get so bent on you know the the rules um, rather than seeing the value in, in another person for for justifying reasons that they can overlook the rule right like mm-hmm. they're using the rule to to back their behavior and maybe that manager was just uh, having a bad day where they didn't themselves feel like that they were in control of some things maybe they were felt like they were the victim of some uh, some mistreatment and exercising control would be a way to you know to put a, a solve on that ego on their ego for example and you know what better way to do that than than in this case yeah you know um because you mentioned the store policy that says customers aren't allowed to use the bathroom uh that manager was pointing to the explicit text and i think that we do that Uh regularly you know we whether Uh it's written text that's in an actual policy uh whenever we point to uh something to justify our actions we're we're building a case and sometimes we point to social norms, you know, unwritten social norms to build our case. Um, this can be manifested in in relationships where, you know, if our significant other is doing something that we don't really like, we might, you know, we might look up things on Google that, that kind of uh, justify why we feel hurt or slighted. You know, um, I've had friends who are women reach out to me and say, you know, would you do X, Y, Z in <laughs> in such and such a, a case? An example, you as a man. Uh, it's a trap. And, and it's I'm, a trap. It's Don't a trap. Answer. It's Don't a trap. Answer. It's yeah. a trap. But whatever. Just kidding. Uh, yeah. But I think what's occurring probably is that in what in their relationship, their boyfriend or significant other did something, and now they want to you know to get some ammunition that that justifies why they are upset with that. And, you know, what better way to do that than to go pull some friends uh, and say, you know, when you built your case, present that to them and say, see, you know, like so-and-so wouldn't have done this in, in this situation rather than kind of, it's, it's more difficult to unpack why you're feeling slighted in the first place um, uh-huh. than to, uh, than to, to, to build your case and defend whatever it is that agitated you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's right. I mean, I think in, in the context, I mean, there's, I mean, love is really important here. I mean, you, you, we cannot separate love from justification, um, or at least an appropriate measure of justification and real love, um, uh, bringing about, you know, what real justification is or or what or what it can look like. Um, what do I mean by that? I mean, there's love that a person has for themselves that has to be present. You know, I guess it, in, in the context of just a healthy relationship with, with ourselves. And there's love that we have for other people that hopefully, you know, comes out of a significant, um, relevant love that we have for, for who we are as people. That's the golden rule, you know, to love others as you love yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what we uh, generally tend to do is we tend to justify our behavior um, be, because we need to feel loved. We need to, um, work on our insecurities, you know, a bit, you know, so Mm -hmm. we are, so what we're doing is we're actually saying, you know what, I'm valuable for this reason. Um, or we justify our behavior, um, in a way that is, um, 
like controlling and manipulative based in fear, um, as opposed to this, you know, real love, true love will always work to justify the value in another person. Rather, more than love will justify our own behavior, right? Um, separate from actually how we love that other person. Um, love will never cause a, 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 a person to defend themselves more than they'll seek to defend another person. Um, and that's sacrificial. I know that doesn't, that doesn't make a ton of sense in, in the context of how we generally see things in like the world, you know, but I think it, it makes some, it makes a lot more, it, it takes a lot more sacrifice to look at someone else who's wronged you or someone that you don't understand and say, I'm coming, I'm, I'm going to come to your aid and I'm going to defend you and I'm going to prop you up. I'm going to sponsor you in this life. Now, how that relates to this conversation on race and justification. Um, I think we can take the Starbucks example um, and, uh, and the general manager and look at what the alternative like response could have been. Um, mm -hmm. It is um, what she could have said is, you know, I understand you need to go to the bathroom. This is such a stupid example, by the way, but this is <laughs> just because it seems so trivial, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and it would be trivial if those black guys hadn't been arrested, <laughs> you know, for just um, coming up against the policy, right? Um, I mean, and understand how trivial that is, you know, for black folks, you know, there were, you know, years went by, you know, we were not allowed to sit in certain restaurants. So you're telling me I can't use the bathroom. So that's a little triggering. Mm -hmm. um, so, but in the context of a love-based justification would have been to say, you know what, you have to go to the bathroom. I understand that. Every person deserves to be able to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, everyone mm -hmm. should have, you know, should have access to the toilet and the Starbucks, regardless of whether or not they buy something or not. Right. And love, mm -hmm. even though it understands why the policy is there, it understands why the law exists. The law is there, as, as the Apostle Paul said in, in the Romans 7, that if it had not been for the law, he would not have known sin. But the law exists in order to pinpoint people who were not acting or behaving justly or, mm -hmm. or, or, who, or, or who have faulty motives when it comes to using the bathroom without and just using the Starbucks for no reason, just coming in there and not buying anything and taking up space. Because, you know, no Starbucks has enough space for as, no, for, for as many patrons as go there, right? So right, that's, yeah. that's what they're trying to like avoid. But the reality of the situation is that those folks were there. They were going to buy something from the, from the store and had the love button been on or the love switch been on, maybe she would have been able to see that long enough, you know, to actually say, you know what, just use the bathroom. It's not a big deal. See how easy that mm -hmm. is. It's a lot easier yeah. to love and she would have saved herself a lot of problems. I think to your point, Mark, too, the same thing in relationships, you know, from a therapeutic perspective, you know, that if people are more self forgetting, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to self defending, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. then relationships tend to last a little bit longer and tend to have a little bit more, um, 
um, uh, sort of health and, and, and wellness built into them because there's a, there's a challenge to always look at the value in another person and to justify, even without understanding, why is she acting crazy? <laughs> why, mm. why is he not paying attention to me the way that I need him to? Um, mm. All of that, you know what I mean? And I think that mm. so much of that, you know, is, um, is really due to... Um, you know, just being um, self-loving as opposed to self-defending, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those sirens in the back were actually just because uh, they weren't actually police sirens. Those were just, we we baked <laughs> that in because you were saying something so hot, we just made a, a siren sound. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Um, that, that's our high-tech uh, That's our high-tech way. I know, of course. Right. Yeah. 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 So uh, basically my way of saying that you're, you're spitting fire and the fire truck is coming to, <laughs> and the fire to put that fire coming through. That's what it's trying to say. Don't yeah. love yourself alone. Love yourself and love other people. And then the fire trucks come by to tell you that that's what the case is. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's too hot. Too it's, hot too, to it's too hot to handle. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think, you know, and we really are kind of getting theological here, but I think that that's important. Like, I don't think that uh, we – uh, racial harmony can exist without that because uh, it's completely necessary to to put down our ego and die to ourself uh, to understand the other. Um, and, you know, that doesn't really make sense outside of the context of, you know, at, at least in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. God, Bible. Yeah, it's um, true. It's true, though. I foundation. mean, yeah, I mean, we just don't. I mean, it's I mean, Mark and I are very clear, you know, we're, we're very, you know, very devout people of faith here. But um and the Christian faith in particular, which is why we bring this in, you know, and, and I never want people to feel ostracized, you know, in a sense, you know, um, and I, and I don't think that we ever give that impression. Um, I mean, the, the, the reality of a theological framework or a, or, or, or a spiritual framing around the issue of race is not uncommon. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., for example, um, and his, um, uh, and, and his colleagues came up with this thing, which is which we've talked about, I think, before, where it was the Ten Commandments of the Civil Rights Movement. And we know that not everyone that was a part of that movement was an expressed Christian. Some were, um, some were Catholic, some were Muslim, they were Jewish. I mean, there were a lot of friends of the Civil Rights Movement and a lot of friends to Martin Luther King Jr. But one of the top you guys can Google this, you know, the 10 commandments of the civil rights movement. Um, The number one thing on that list was to meditate on the teachings of Jesus daily and to refrain from the violence of fist or tongue. And one could say, well, what is this then that, that we're doing? You know, are we saying that every person that's a part of a legitimate movement of civil rights and justification of other people, does that come only from, folks that are Christian leaders or are part of the Christian faith. No, of course not. It is people that are looking at the example of Jesus Christ and saying this, this is important for us being able to look at people that are other than us and justify them as people and their value, not justify their behavior, justify their value and their worth, justify how we treat people, how we, how, what our behavior should be when, when we're looking at people that are different than us. And that's actually baked into more of a spiritual leadership framework than it is actually into um, policy work, you know, um, or yeah. whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like we actually are getting, mm-hmm. like the actual forming of our hearts and the reforming of our hearts is a spiritual work, not necessarily just a Christian work. It is a spiritual work of 
of each and every person that's engaging in this conversation, if you're willing to do that, you know, so. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, uh, you know, certainly there are times when, you know, uh, Jesus talks about turning the other cheek. Um, and, and I think that some people kind of misapply that and they take it to mean that, okay, well, we should just be, you know, if someone harms us, we should just roll over uh, and allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, Jesus was very clear about boundaries. Uh, he, you know, would get angry if people were encroaching on boundaries with some of the Pharisees and, and other people who were back in the day, uh, the religious leaders um, who were kind of making fools of themselves and making a mess of situations. Uh, but I think in these situations, like it, it's important to take inventory and, and see where real harm is occurring mm-hmm. and, and to establish boundaries there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where there isn't really any harm except to a bruised ego, I think that that's where Jesus is talking about. Mm-hmm. Turn the other cheek and love. And uh, I think that that's how you're going to overcome those differences. Yeah. Um, Ooh, the bruised ego. Yeah. 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 But if someone's, you know, stepping on your toes, they, uh, they need to step off. Um, mm-hmm. And if, if they don't, then they need to kind of, they need to fall off. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. And, you know, I think even just as you're talking about the bruised ego here, I think that's really, um, anyway, I think that's super important. I mean, we were talking earlier, you know, um, you know, just about black lives matter, the, the movement, you know, and why, um, sort of what that sounds like, you know, if you're the majority, I think Mark, you know, cause I'm, I am a minority, you know, uh, like a brown person, I'm not necessarily going to speak for all white people here, of course, but, um, but the accusation or, or the accusatorial response, you know, I, I think that people in the majority can feel, um, when the slogan or, um, you know, whatever the meaning is behind the phrase black lives matter, you know, we hear, mm-hmm. of course, this language, you know, well, all lives matter, you know, well, mm-hmm. that's not what's being said. But the accusation that is felt there is that you don't care about my black life, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, when really what's, um, and then what is then being used to sort of justify um, sort of coming against the Black Lives Matter movement as opposed to listening to what's going Now, mind you, I say all of that, like I am not a 100% like supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement in, in terms of some of its behavior, right? Because even mm-hmm. its behavior, um, the movement has has used certain things to justify its behavior. And I am not in favor of that either, or to justify some of its fear mongering. Um, and, uh, and I won't, uh, and, and out of that fear that is an unconscious fear, it, it's, it's, and then a conscious fear, but it's not malicious in nature, except that it is angry and frustrated, but there are certain behaviors mm-hmm. that I won't condone that they would be justifying because of some of and how it's twisted in order to support those behaviors in the same mm-hmm. tone for, for the majority also, you know, mm-hmm. to, to like negate that, that, that there is a relative amount of justification for the mm-hmm. movement existing in the first place. We, uh, you know, what we hear is you're just saying all lives matter as if to say you don't recognize all of this history and all Mm -hmm. of the part that you play in it, um, either consciously, uh, directly or indirectly or subconsciously. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, well, yeah, we can problem solve that, you know, right now, work backwards to to understand what it is, why they feel compelled to say black lives matter. So if they're saying black lives matter, then what they're hearing is through mm-hmm. word or deed is that black lives don't matter. Mm-hmm. And, and so why, why are they then hearing that? 
and I think it's because when you see police shootings occur, the justifications that come out of that are, well, he shouldn't have had run-ins with the law in the first place. He shouldn't have been in that part of town. He, uh, he shouldn't have been running, um, <laughs> you know, in the Trayvon Martin shooting uh, with George Zimmerman, you know, so many things that came out of that in the news later were, you know, that he was kind of a thug. And so that, well, he was, he was thuggish and therefore maybe that's why George Zimmerman uh, made contact with him in the first place. And so uh-huh. all these kind of justifications are coming out uh, where we could instead lean in um, and, and see that, as you said earlier, you know, love will, find the value in another person. And so uh, when we're making these justifications for these shootings, what they are hearing is that the black life isn't worth anything. Uh, the black lives yeah. do not matter. matter. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know what a, a proper response would be to that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that's totally right. Um, and that takes us back, you know, to not only what we're hearing as black and brown people in the present, what we've, what we've been hearing throughout history. And, you know, um, as we sort of reboot a conversation on racial science here, um, you know, there are, um, there's evidence of a racial science narrative, <laughs> you know, sort of popping up in 2018, 2017, 2016. You know, this isn't something that is um, just old and put behind us, you know. Um, And one of the justifications, you know, for being able to say, you know, well, Black Lives Matter movement isn't um, viable or necessary is because, hey, we've gone through this already. We went, and this is from the majority, right? That we've gone through this already. We've talked about this. We've gone through civil rights. We've done all, we made all of these changes. Isn't there progress right now? And can't we just move forward? And I go, well, we are moving forward. The question is whether or not we'll move forward together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then what does that look like, right? But how could we possibly move forward together if you actually aren't listening to the, to the other person who you need to walk with, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so what, what, and there's a, talking about my Bible life here in Amos 3 verse 3, it says, how can two people walk together unless they agree with one another? And I don't think that's about conformity, that we have to believe everything. We have to be so like lacking in our own identity that we can't be different. But what I, but what I think that that does mean is that it, it, it becomes really hard to move in a singular direction with, with someone that I am constantly suspicious of whether or not they think I'm valuable or not. Mm-hmm. If I'm constantly wondering, what is that person thinking about me? What is their mm-hmm. inner thought? What is their inner narrative towards me? Are they confessing their real love and their real affection to me? But we have mm-hmm. 400 years of baked in experience where people will look at us in our faces and say, okay, well, maybe a little bit less than that, but like, but, but, but we have 400 years of, of experience here where people have treated my ancestors, people that have looked like me over the course of the last 500, 400, 500 years, um, like, like slaves, like literally like slaves, you know, like free labor. And then in a political cycle or in the context of friendships, relationships, you know, I'm the black friend, right? So people will look at me in mm-hmm. my face and say, you're valuable or you want my black vote or whatever it is, and then turn around and then do something that is inconsistent and incongruent with what you told me, <laughs> with how you mm-hmm. express that value to me. And so, of course, I'm going to be a little suspicious as I move forward with you, unless you are actually able to not defend your own behavior, but rally, but rather 
um, to really confess and communicate how you see and understand my value as a person, not only as a person, but yes, even as a person of color. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's going to take a lot of um, people, you know, white people leaning into, uh, into relationship with and overturning hundreds of years of, uh, of basically, yeah, of laying that track um, to make people, to make black folks, I guess, weary of, of white people and, and their intentions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if we, yeah. if we can have better conversations, you know, start having better conversations, you know, what are the immediate payoffs that that could have uh, just by saying, you know, I hear you. Um, rather than being defensive whenever, you know, any accusation is, is levied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, even just to jump in again, I said, you know, we were talking earlier about some other examples of things that were going on um, sort of in the country and the news right now, which seemed to me either to be an escalation of things going on or just that I have not been aware. Um, and I consider mm-hmm. myself to be decently aware. So I'm like, why is everything just hitting the news band right now, hitting the news cycle? But um, several examples, you know, of, you know, white women, you know, calling out and at like African-American men, you know, for doing something or being somewhere they shouldn't have been. You know, this one white woman, you know, who talked to um, this black man who was out working late and came home to an apartment complex that they both lived in. And then she said, do you live here? And just questioned him and interrogated him, followed him all the way in the elevator up to where his apartment is just to make sure that he could get, I mean, it was just this, this uh, like intrusion, you know, mm-hmm. this is place of, of where she automatically didn't trust him, but he's lived there, you know, who knows? He he'd lived there before. She goes, I've never seen you there. There's like that. And then we heard about, you know, the white woman in a, in a store, you know, and, and a little like eight, six, seven, eight year old black boy you know who had brushed his backpack up against her bottom side and then she Mm -hmm. accused him of grabbing her sexually or inappropriately and then of course Mm -hmm. you know the security footage you know came back to show that that was not the case you know so when we're talking about justification what is it that these people are going through to justify this kind of interrogation this kind of intrusion this type of accusation um uh you know is it could they say that it's the news cycle, you know, that's doing it. It's the rhetoric, you know, that's made people a little bit more sensitive to it. I don't really know. Is it maybe the existence of a Black Lives Matter movement, you know, that's caused them to be a little bit more resistant to seeing people of value? I don't know. I think it's, I think there are tons of different ways to like slice this from Tuesday. But the, the, um, the reality is that each one of us is responsible can be responsible. I think, you know, I'll go ahead and say it, that we are responsible as human beings who want to be treated with dignity and with respect to be able to um, communicate dignity and respect to people outside of us, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they've gone through. And this is someone who I'm like, I've worked with child molesters, I've worked with murderers, and finding value in those people actually, believe it or not, so what they've done is reprehensible. How they got there is not uncommon than what most other people are going through in this country in regards to trauma, in regards to feeling hurt, being betrayed, or being abandoned or beaten. You know, mm. so many people have the same storyline, but disproportionately, black or brown people, men 
in particular, and yes, even white men and white women and whoever it is, you know, are going through similar things. We are not that different, except, except for how we choose to look at other people and, and how we choose to value them. That is what separates us. And, um, and if we can turn the corner on that, I think we'll, we'll be doing good. And I, and I think we have, I think we have, but we have so much more to do and so much um, more growth to undergo. And um, what will, will really facilitate that is going to be conversations like these where we actually challenge not only you all, but challenge ourselves also to look where, where are the excuses that, or what are all of the excuses that I'm making? What are the justifications, you know, that I'm entertaining for treating someone differently, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. or poorly. Right. Yeah. And, um, and we've talked about the Enneagram on here and that's one reason that I love it so much is that, uh, it takes a comprehensive complex, uh, view, holistic view of a person and, uh, kind of, can kind of put them at different levels depending on their healthiness or unhealthiness and people mm-hmm. who are operating, you know, whatever type of they are type of person, personality or, or what have you, if they're operating out of unhealthiness, they, they can be a danger to themselves or, or other people very easily uh, because they, they're so unhealthy and so yes. toxic. Um, and so if you can see someone for who, you know, the value in them, and see them for more than who they are at this current state and see them for the potential that they have um, and just be being a healthy person, you know, an unhealthy person can move toward healthiness, um, you know, through a lot of work um, and being shown love that, um, you know, that they aren't who they are. They aren't a sum of their circumstances or they aren't a sum of their, even their current behaviors because those can be modified and those can be changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Like behavior modification is a real thing and we can, you know, people can change. We all can change. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and we can get into, and we change by really just asking these really hard questions, you know, mm-hmm. and then taking responsibility for the answers we're able to give. Yeah. So does that kind of, uh, take us to the end of this? Do we, we want to roll out some calls to action? Yeah, or? I think that would be great some calls yeah. to action. Um, so I'll start there. You know, I think if there's a, you know, a significant call to action for me, I think is not dissimilar from other calls to action we've given here about um, coming out of isolation. Um, but in, in particular on this topic, um, I think this puts us in an incredibly vulnerable position to look at someone and say, you know, I am justifying, I mean, let's take race out of the, out of the equation for for just a second. Let's just say it's your neighbor up the street. You like playing video games and that guy likes, likes, I don't know, playing basketball or whatever it is, you know, or they've got a weird personality or something. They're just different in some way, you know, what are the ways, the little subtle ways that we justify not paying attention to that person or not treating them with dignity? Um, um, what makes it difficult for us to treat people with dignity? Um, now, this isn't to say that I need to give everyone my time, my energy, and my resources, right? Right, right. But, but, but there, or, or, or to be overly like invested in someone that is just different just because they're different, right? Like we're about authentic connection here and being open to what that connection could look like. And I can never, now I, I, I want to always be a person with an open heart, 
you know, to sort of bring people in with like love in the context of my own boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. um, of what it means for me to be healthy. Um, but there are times I've got to look at myself and go, you know what? I don't really like that person. I don't like spending time with them and I don't want to treat them with dignity because they really bother me, get on my nerves, whatever it is. And yet they are still what worthy of connection, worthy of belonging. And for me to just say, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to treat them with that dignity or with that respect is something that I have to own and take responsibility for because it's not aligned with the values that I purport as a person, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, in order for me to even begin to excavate that, I have to come out of isolation on the topic. And I have to be in relationships where I can choose to be in relationships where I'm saying to people that love me, tell me if I'm not treating someone with equity, if I'm not treating them with equality, tell me. Um, talk, talk to me if it seems like I'm justifying behaviors or I'm justifying belief systems. Um, and they're not based in reality, they're based in my insecurity. They're based mm-hmm. in self-preservation. Um, and so um, let's get out of being afraid of the word racist or racism. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't believe that anyone needs to be called a racist per se, but you can have racist-like or racial behavior. And mm-hmm. um, our language around those things has not been perfect, especially in this, in, in this era, in this climate currently going on in the country, but I think that we're mature enough as people, we can be mature enough as people to look past all of the words and we can create new words, you know, to help us communicate what our biases are, you know, and how mm-hmm. to be, and how we want to be held accountable to them. So basically come, come out of the closet of, mm-hmm. of whatever's going on in your mind and with a few trusted people um, engage this topic engage it, engage it in the context of race, because it'll be better for you as a person to do so. It's not just that we have an agenda to move the conversation of race on um, or kind of along in this country, but we also just want people to be more healthy and more aware, more self-aware, more giving, more kind. And you can't do it if you're living in isolation or living in denial about what's really going on in you. Mm -hmm. Dang. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and you, it all starts with knowing yourself, you know, and, um, like we've talked before in the past, like there are some things that I know that if I'm not operating at my best, you know, then you might get a cranky mark and how, <laughs> how do I operate at my best? And that's by getting rest and eating well and working out. And if any of those things are out of whack, then, you know, then I become out of whack and I'm not being my best self and I can't demonstrate love. And obviously there's going to be times where, you know, you know, I'm traveling now for Thanksgiving and, um, you know, your routine gets kind of, um, shook, shaken up and, um, you know, there, those times and you kind of have to just kind of willpower your way through those. But, um, but otherwise, yeah, know yourself and know what it takes to, to make yourself the best you and, um, and yeah, and, and roll with it. Uh, I would say my call to action would be, uh, to ask yourself, where have you re- relied on the text of the law? to justify your mistreatment of people. And that can be actual law, or as we mentioned earlier, it can be just unwritten social norms that we're pointing to and saying, look, this isn't normal. This is where, you know, I feel slighted. uh, And so I'm not going to demonstrate love to you because of that. Um, And so find, I guess, examples this week uh, or look for opportunities where you can demonstrate love to someone who 
may have broken those laws and may not have even deserved your love. But by demonstrating it, you can really uh, be a witness to to some powerful change. And, you know, what impact will that have on them in their day? Um, you know, and, and how are they going to uh, demonstrate that themselves because they've seen the example that you showed? Um, and I think that that can occur in our homes. It can occur in our workplaces. It can occur on the streets. Uh, wherever we've been slided, we have an opportunity to turn the other cheek. It's awesome. It's yeah. incredible. Awesome, great, Mark. I love that, Mark. It's really good. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Uh, so cool. Well, this was a good topic, and I think um, you know we we mentioned early in, in last episode that we have a our first Facebook Live uh, coming up. Uh, we're not going to publish next Monday on December 3rd. We're actually going to publish Tuesday night. Facebook Live uh, is when we'll go live. And then we'll, we'll, of course, publish it everywhere else that we publish now. Uh, but look for that. We'll be bringing on a guest, Bill Rydell from Redemption Hill Church, to discuss race uh, and the church and the church's role in perpetuating slavery and racism. And so that will be a really good conversation, I think. Yeah, it's going to feel great. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll be really awesome. uh, yeah. li- lifted up after that one. <laughs> no, uplifted. I think we will. I think we yeah. will, actually. I think we will. Very hopeful. Yeah. So. Uh, and so a note, we actually, we are going to end season one uh, with that Facebook Live at the, uh, December 4th. We're going to take a few weeks off for the holidays, get some rest, recoup, re-energize, pray, talk through some conversations about what we want season two to look like and then we'll come back uh with season two in january uh to coincide with mlk day uh which i think is january 22nd i could be wrong there we go i think that's right something so like we'll that be, it's yeah, that week we'll be gone yeah. a few weeks but we'll still be around we'll still be on uh instagram facebook we'll still be around email we just won't be publishing podcasts um so uh yeah there you go and we'll we'll talk more about that later with other announcements but yeah uh, be sure to tune Great. in next week. Yeah, with uh, with the Facebook Live, and I think that that could be really fun. Great. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, And then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then of course, if you think you know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.